I guess it's been several weeks back now, probably maybe about as far as a month ago, uh, a brother here in our congregation came to me and said he felt burdened uh, to share a testimony of God's working in his life. And so uh, Bobby Tyson sat down with me, uh, guess what, a couple weeks ago now, Bobby, and uh, kind of shared his story with me. We probably spent about an hour together uh, as he shared his story. And uh, he tells me that the uh, majority of you all that uh, grew up here, you know him from the time when he grew up here. But uh, God has been working in his life and God has brought deliverance to his life. And I'm not going to steal any of your thunder, brother. So if you want to start making your way this way, he's going to share a testimony. He's going to condense an hour to about five minutes and uh, share it with us how God has been working. And it's so uh, fitting, I think, from do this today as we kick off a brand new sermon series called He's Still Working on Me. So, Bobby, God bless you. We appreciate you, brother. And uh, share with them what God's doing in your heart, okay? Good morning. Good morning. Most of you know who I am. I grew up in this church, baptized right there behind me. Uh, for those of you that don't, I'm Bobby Tyson. Uh, I'm giving my testimony today. Uh, Webster defines what a testimony is, but everybody has their opinion. My opinion is it's a story of a person that has got as far away from this church and God as they possibly can get. And that was me. Way far away. I even had to explain to Preacher Rodney why I call this my home church, because he didn't know me until December the 6th when I got here. But uh, So I'll start over. My name is Bobby Tyson, and uh, I'm a meth addict. In recovery. And I say in recovery instead of recovering because I will struggle with that the rest of my life. The difference is this time I'm not doing it by myself. <laughs> I got the best on my side. So where I'll start at is try to condense this so me and Preacher Rodney both don't get fired. <laughs> uh, I'm going to start with God knowing what it was going to take to stop me. And he was right. I had to hit the very, very bottom as far as I could go. So on September the 25th, 2015, I left out of my yard in handcuffs. Uh, even then, I was still living in my old world. I was already calling bondsmen. I had a little bit of money saved up, me and my wife. So I'm figuring, you know, $50,000 and uh, maybe at the most, uh, we're going to get out of here. We'll be out of here before we even leave the holding cell. Well, God had another plan on that one, too. I get down there and I'm under a half a million dollar bond. So I'm not leaving no time soon. Well, he knew I needed to be there long enough to hear Miss Tillman <laughs> give a sermon one Thursday of the jailhouse ministry. And that was the sermon that I gave my life back to the Lord. So I wouldn't have been there without that half a million dollar bond. I'd have came home like I you know, was planning and went right on back to where I was. But God knew better. So I... Lucky enough, I listened to the sermon and uh, gave my life back to the Lord that day. And I decided I'm going to be here a while. And she said, make the best of this. Make something good come out of something bad. So I decided I was going to do something I'd never done before. I was going to read the Bible from page one all the way to the very end. And I got a good start on that in 68 days. And it came to day 68. I was looking for a bond reduction. And uh, this is miracle number one. Uh, I got up there, and none of you want to have to have your mom and daddy see you in shackles, leg irons and everything. It's not a good thing. I get up there, and my lawyer tells me that the judge we got this week hasn't lowered a bond all week long, much less to get one as low as I need mine from 500000 And uh, 
it's almost like he's saying, let's don't even go. Well, my next chance is two or three months after that. So I figure, got nothing to lose. I mean, it's one, one, if I lose, what if I lost? I'm going to sit here anyway. So we go in front of this mean judge, <laughs> and uh, he drops it to $100,000. First one all week that he dropped it all, he drops mine 400000 in one clip. And that's miracle number one. My uh, lawyer even told another guy that was, he was representing that was kind of mad because mine got dropped uh, that it was a miracle. My lawyer said that out of his own mouth, and I, I looked at my lawyer and I said, yeah, it was. So I go back down, and paperwork's taking forever, so here's another way of God's timetable. He knows we're on his time, so he's not on ours. I was in the next to last book before Revelation, and uh, I figured, well, I'm going to finish this when I get home, just like I promised that I would. Well, God said I was going to finish it before I got out of jail, like I said I would. So it took the 6 o'clock that night for the bond papers and everything to come through and me to get out on December 2nd. And uh, that's when, December 6th, that first Sunday, I walked back in here. And thank God for this church family that I walked out of here four days fresh out of jail and everybody took me in and didn't, didn't say a word. Nobody ever mentioned it. Uh, nobody looked at me bad. Thank you. And that's why this is my church. Um, the next miracle is, there's so many of them, <laughs> i got to get this in five minutes, but uh, when I go to court, I'm looking at possibly 15 to 20 years if, if I get everything. Well, a, pl- a plea arrangement was worked out, but I've got a PO probation officer who's telling me all along that I'm still going to do the time for my violation of a prior uh, conviction that I was on probation for. I mean, he's telling me the whole time, you are going to jail on my violation. Well, this same PO spends a good 10 or 15 minutes testifying on my behalf when we go in front of the judge that he doesn't want me to go to prison. He's seen the turnaround, and uh, he's had a turnaround, too. Uh, go in front of the judge. The judge can give me three and a half years now under this plea arrangement. And... Uh, he takes a good while to make his mind up, and he finally he says, I don't really want to do this. Well, I'm thinking he's telling me he don't really want to put me in prison, but he is. But what he meant was he didn't really want to give me a second chance, but he did. I end up with three years probation instead of 15 or 20 possible years, and absolutely three and a half I could have got that day. And I think that's another miracle. And uh, the... You know, it's all God's glory. That's why I'm giving this testimony to show that you can go from hopeless, impossible. My mama prayed for 32 years for me to be standing in church, much less standing right here. So don't never quit praying. It will come. It'll come on his timetable. It won't come on ours. But uh, never quit. It's never hopeless. Uh, I want to give some advice to the youth. You are who you associate with. I promise you. No matter how hard you try to be somebody else, I did. I tried to be still a nice guy. I would help anybody in the neighborhood. All my neighbors know that. But I was still who I was hanging around with. Don't associate yourself with bad people. Associate yourself with good Christian people like you are. And good things will happen. Be a good Christian so somebody else can associate with you. And good things can happen for them. To the... Adults and the elders of the church, I want to read one scripture from Hebrews. And it's Hebrews 13, 
verse 3, remember the prisoners as if chained to them, those who are mistreated, since you yourself are in the body also. Just remember the people, this is an addiction of any kind. It doesn't have to be drugs. I mean, it doesn't have to be the, all addictions are serious. It can be anything, food, it can be, it can be alcohol, it can be gambling, pornography, whatever. Remember these people, and, and it's a disease. It's not a choice. I mean, we make bad choices while we're on these addictions, but it is this proven disease. Remember these people. Do what you can to help them. And do know that not every person is standing up against a light pole that won't work. There are plenty of us that are normal people that are just normal as we can be, work every day, and are suffering. So I want to thank Preacher Rodney for giving me this chance. Most of all, thank God for giving me this chance. Um, I want to thank uh, my church family who took me in. <laughs> I was as far away from here as you can ever get. Uh, so far away that I was just, I was, I was more or less walking with the devil way closer than I was to the Lord, I promise you. Uh, I want to thank, I don't want to put nobody on the spot, but I want to thank good Christian people like Steve and Nicole Carpenter, who not only are good Christians, they live by what I think is my most favorite part of our religion. You get a second chance. You get chances, you get them again if you ask for them. And they live by it. They gave me a second chance. And I just want to, I don't want to put them on the spot. I just want to thank them. And uh, this, the recovery groups, uh, we have a really good, i got a brother here today that's here to support me from my Love to Recovery meetings at Harmony, uh, Reverend Rocky Cartner. If you know somebody, get them there. If they, you can't force them, let them know about it. It's on Sunday nights at 6 o'clock. We're, as Reverend Cartner said, we're not there to fix nobody. Uh, we're all misfits. And we're just there to listen and talk and, and confessing. Uh, in the book of James, it teaches us to confess our trespasses to other believers and that there's comfort and healing in that. And it tells us that in the book of James at the very end. Uh, this is true. There's, there's a lot of healing and confessing. Um, just if do what you can to help people, uh, help anybody. Help. We should be helping people anyway. But I'm a perfect example of what help is. It'll do for you. So I just want everybody to know that what what God did. That's why I wanted to talk today. Cause it's nothing's impossible. I promise you, it's not impossible. It may seem like it. I was hopeless. I, I thought I was. And uh, one last thing, real quick. Oh, God's amazing. I mean. How many people that you truly, truly love would you allow to spit in your face, basically, turn your back on you, take up with your arch rival and spend more time in his work than, than doing their work, and then take you back? When you fell to the bottom and you need him, they, he takes you back. How many people do you know in your life that will do that for you? I don't know. God, I know that. So... Thank you for listening, and uh, like I said, just praise God, praise God all together. Stay stand. Let me pray for Bobby. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. And Lord, what a testimony today of your unending, unconditional love. Thank you that you don't give up on us. Thank you for working in Bobby's life. Thank you, Lord, for the change that we see in him today. 
And we know that he stands here giving you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. Lord, you're exalted in this place. Lord, I pray your richest blessings upon him, his wife, his family. Lord, thank you for them, the friends that have come today to hear his testimony. Bless them. Bless all those, Lord, that are struggling with um, addictions of various ways and shapes and forms. And we realize today, we're not for your grace. Lord, all of us would have these sorts of things in our life. All of us do have certain things in our lives. And so, Lord, we look at certain things and we say, oh, they've got that. And that. But all of us struggle. And so, Lord, we cast ourselves upon you today and pray that you would help us all to look to you and to trust you and to obey you and to watch you guide our steps. Bless him. Make him a blessing as he's been today. And we give you all the honor and all the praise and all the glory in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. Well, I think that's a fitting opening to our time in this new sermon series we're starting today on the life of Jacob called He's Still Working on Me. If you'll open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 25. Years ago, Joel Hemphill wrote a song that you might remember. Uh, at least you might remember the chorus of it. I wonder how many of you remember this song. He's still working on me to make me what I need to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be, because he's still working on me. Anybody remember that song? A few of you do. Yeah. A great, great song. And I suppose if we could pick a theme song for the life of Jacob in the Bible, the man whose life we're beginning a study on today, it would be that one. I mean, Jacob could easily sing that song. He could have sang the verses. The verses go, there really ought to be a sign upon my heart. Don't judge him yet. There's an unfinished part. But I'll be better just according to his plan, fashioned by the master's loving hands. In the mirror of his word reflections that I see makes me wonder why he never gave up on me. But he loves me as I am and helps me when I pray. Remember, he's the potter. I'm the clay. But let's be honest about it today, beloved. Couldn't we all take that song as our own theme song? Isn't that true of every single one of us that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ today? We're a work in progress. We're an unfinished project and our stories are different, but we all have a story. And beloved, positionally in Christ this morning, we are perfect right now. But practically speaking, God is still working to make us like his son the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the big term, the $20 term would be progressive sanctification. That's what you'd find if you went to a theological textbook. Progressive sanctification. That's a big $20 word or phrase. But really what it's talking about is this. God is working to make us more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to study how he does that by looking in the Bible Particularly by studying the life of Jacob. And that's why we've chosen to call this series, He's Still Working on Me. Did you know, do you remember that Jacob started out as a scoundrel and he ended up 
as the prince with God. And Jacob is one of the most important Bible characters in all the Bible. He's one of the most important men in all the Bible. But in all honesty, he's not always a man that you'd want to emulate. In fact, he's not always a man that you'd take the Bible and say now uh, to your son or daughter. Now, look at here. I want you to do what this man did. No, uh, many times you'd look at Jacob's life and say here. I don't want you to do what this man did. In fact, he's been called the Peter of the Old Testament. I think that's a very fitting thing to call him, the Peter of the Old Testament. In fact, let me give you kind of an overview and a summary of his life for just a few minutes. Just a few minutes. We'll run through some things about Jacob. We're going to study his life in detail, and this will take week after week after week. But I want to just give you a broad summary and an overview. You realize that he is born clutching his brother's heel. He cheats his brother out of the birthright. He deceives his father in order to obtain the blessing. He spends 20 years in Haran, where his uncle Laban cheats him. He tries to bargain his way into his brother's uh, uh, Esau's good graces. His children are involved in rape and murder. His oldest son sleeps with his maidservant Bilhah. His favorite son, Joseph, whom we've studied in depth here, is kidnapped by his uh, other sons. His heart is broken with sorrow. In his youth, he was a schemer. In his middle years, he was a hireling to Laban. In his old age, he was depressed and discouraged. Are you getting kind of discouraged yourself when you look at his life? And he died in Egypt, not in the promised land. Not exactly a spotless, blemish-free life. But this is the man that God chose. God chose to call himself what? He calls himself in the Bible the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In fact, the Hebrew nation is spoken of as the sons of Jacob and the children of Israel. Think about that. God chose to call himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the Hebrew nation is spoken of as the sons of Jacob and the children of Israel. But as uh, Lockyer notes, his life is not neat and tidy as we just saw. Uh, He said Jacob's character is full of interest and difficulty because of his weaknesses and his strengths. You can't describe his life in a single word like you might say the faith of Abraham or the purity of Joseph. No, Jacob had a many sided life. He's a man of guile, yet a man of prayer. He says inconsistencies are everywhere when it comes to Jacob. And may I just be honest with you? I think that's why I love studying about people like Peter and Peter like uh, people like Jacob. Because I see myself in them and I see those inconsistencies in my life, those inconsistencies that are everywhere. The old evangelist Dion Moody noted that Jacob is a twin to most of us. He says you'll find a hundred Jacobs where you'll find just one Joseph or one Daniel. But really, beloved, the glorious thing about Jacob's life is this. Jacob is really a story about God's. Amazing grace. And Jacob's story is so encouraging in so many ways. Before we jump into the passage this morning in Genesis chapter 25, can I just share with you one more thing that I found in my study this past week? The great uh, Southern Baptist uh, preacher from days gone by, W.A. Criswell, uh, shared the following about Jacob in a sermon. And it's actually quite startling. 
Let me quote what he said. Jacob is as sorry a prospect as is any one of us. Isn't that encouraging right now just to start out the message like that? He said in the 41st chapter of Isaiah and the 14th verse, God calls Jacob a worm. Thou worm Jacob. Because of his groveling and his crookedness and his chicanery and his cheating and his worthlessness, God calls Jacob a worm. Yet by the grace of God, through a long and wearisome pilgrimage, he made the worm Jacob the prince of Israel. The prince Israel. If ever you're discouraged about yourself, or if ever you're discouraged about somebody whom you love and for whom you pray, it will do you good to follow the life of this cheat, this crook, this supplanter, who could have, who could have had all these promises of God in his patience and in his waiting. But instead of achieving these things by trust and by a life of waiting, he adds it all kinds of devious, circuitous methods and works. Well, what an introduction to the life of a worm, Jacob, who became a prince with God. We'll go back here, Genesis chapter 25, and to get our story going today, we're going to travel back in time to the home of Isaac and Rebekah in Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25, and we'll pick up our reading at verse 19. Genesis chapter 25, verse 19. Here's what the word of God says. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Pandanaram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Let me just stop for a moment. Between verse 20 and the end of verse 21, about uh, 20 years are going to pass. So keep that in mind. About 20 years are going to pass between what we just read and the end of verse 21. Pick up verse 21. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea and Rebekah his wife conceived. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And then it ends verse 26 by saying Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Now, here in these few verses, we have a birth announcement and we have a marriage announcement, a marriage announcement, a birth announcement. And this reminds us that these Bible characters that we're studying were just like us. They were getting married. They were having children, they were living life, and they were having problems just like us. Does that sound familiar? He said they lived normal lives. And this brings us to the very first lesson we learn from Jacob's life and from Jacob's history and God's working with him. And that is this, God's will is not always easy. God's will is not always easy. Do you remember who we're talking about here in this passage? Isaac. The promised, long-awaited son of Abraham and Sarah. 
The one who inherited the Abrahamic covenant. The one through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Why? Because the Messiah would come through his line. The Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we have Isaac. And he marries the love of his life at the age of 40. And they wait for children. But those children do not come. Now you remember how important children were back in these days and in this culture. I mean, they were vitally, crucially important. But not only that, this was the child who was going to carry on the Abrahamic covenant and the line that would bring about the Messiah. You have Abraham, Isaac, and then we have Jacob. But the problem, of course, is this. Isaac and Rebekah, they're not having children. Year after year after year passes and no children are born into their home. So Isaac does what we ought to always do. He took his burden to the Lord and he prayed and he pleaded with God. Look back at verse 21. Now, Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now, we don't know how long Isaac prayed. We don't know if it was one year, two years, three years, 15 years. But he took his burden to the Lord. He pleaded with the Lord and the Lord heard his prayer and granted his request. But here's the reality of it. The one answer to prayer in giving children or giving a child led to more problems. And that was what was going on in the body and the womb of Rebekah. Look at verse 22. The Bible says, but the children struggle together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? Now, the word translated struggled there. I'm reading in the New King James has the idea of pushing or jostling or to go to war with. In fact, one said the Hebrew literally means children smashed themselves inside of her. These two boys smashing and pushing and jostling and going to war. These two boys didn't wait to start fighting when they left the womb. They were fighting in the womb. We're used to that outside the womb, aren't we, parents? Children fighting. Now, of course, they didn't have modern technology like we did. They couldn't get an ultrasound alike. I'm not even sure she even knew that she had two babies in her womb. But ladies, let me ask you, because this is one area I really can't speak with authority upon. But am I right in thinking those that have given birth to a child, that kind of activity in your womb would be unsettling? And may I even say it would be painful? I mean, I've watched as my wife and other oh, the baby just kicked. But imagine two babies pushing and shoving and going to war and literally smashing themselves against one another. And so she's overly concerned, obviously. I mean, her babies or her baby, as she may have thought, but they were actually babies. So she did what we always should do as well. She carried her burden to the Lord. And though we don't know what means the Lord went about doing this, the Lord spoke to her. Verse 23. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. And so think about all she had to process there. First of all, you're having twins. Now, we never had this. Congratulations, you're having twins. Can you imagine? Maybe some of that twins here. Congratulations, you're having twins. Process that. But then beyond that. Two peoples, two nations, one stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. Now, let me just say it just in passing, but I think it bears saying 
the Lord recognized these babies in the womb of Rebecca as real people, not as blobs or a mass of tissue. They were real people, real babies, and God knew them. And he tells her that these two babies have a special role to play in history. They would father two nations and the older would serve the younger, which brings us to the second lesson. Not only is God's will not always easy, but God's plan may not match ours. God's plan may not match ours. I think I'm pretty safe in saying that this was not the plan that Isaac and Rebecca had for these children. They probably, number one, did not expect twins. And they probably didn't expect the trouble that was going to be coming between these boys. And they probably didn't expect them to be so different from the very get-go. They probably expected that they were going to follow the normal cultural way of the elder having the position of prominence. But God turned all that upside down. Now, we know the two nations that were mentioned here were the two nations, that is, the Israelites and the Edomites. Of course, Jacob would be the father of the Israelites and Esau became the father of the Edomites. And it says in verse 24, so when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb, just like God said, twins, but they couldn't have been any different. In fact, look at how different they are. Verse 25, the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. And so they called him Esau. I guess and I'm not, I'm not being to be rude, but I guess Esau came out like a little almost looked like a little hairy animal. When he came out red and covered, when you read later, we'll study about just how hairy he was. I mean, it was a sight to see. I'm sure he was cute, cuddly. Sure, they washed him off and cuddled him. But Esau, his name means hairy. And so they said, hairy. Verse 26. Afterward, his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, which is kind of significant there. So his name was called Jacob. And here's how we know 20 years passed. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. They got married at 40. Remember that? Now the boys are born at 60. Jacob comes out, took hold of Esau's heel, and his name has the idea of heel grabber. So really you have two babies here. You have twins, Harry and heel grabber. Come meet my babies. Here's Harry and he'll grab her. Which, and by the way, if you're respecting children, you know, there's some ideas for names. <clears throat> but this brings us to the third lesson from this story. We're just, we're just getting, they're just babies here. But there's a third lesson here. And that's this. God's grace is so amazing. There's more to this story or reading than just a family who welcomed twin boys into their home. You know, we're often consumed with the temporal the here and the now, what's going on in our lives now. But God is concerned with eternal purposes. And don't misunderstand, God is concerned about your here and now. But God sees the big picture. He's not bound by time. He transcends time. And uh, He's overall, He's in control of all. And God sees the whole picture. Now, Isaac and Rebecca are busy. They're welcoming their new babies into their home. And here's a Harry and he'll grab her. And they're going through the feedings and the joy and all those things. But God has a purpose and a plan for these boys. And the interesting thing is, there's more to the story. And God talks about it in the New Testament. In fact, I would encourage you to put a marker there in Genesis chapter 25. And you can turn to Romans. You can watch it on the screen. But God talks about these two boys in this birth. 
And I've got to warn you, because at first reading, this is all actually very disturbing, what we're about to read at first glance. I'll put it on the screen. You can also read along in your copy of God's Word. Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. Romans chapter 9, beginning at verse 10. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by her father Isaac. Now watch this next verse. For the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. Well, we got all that down, but notice the next verse, verse 13. As it is written, Jacob, I have loved, but Esau, I have hated. Now, I told you, I warned you. It could be a very disturbing verse to realize here in Romans chapter 9, verse 13, that God says, Jacob, I have loved, but Esau, I have hated. So we've got to get our arms ready. What does that mean? How can that be? What is God saying there about these boys? Well, you need to know some things. Very important things. Don't leave yet. You need to know, first of all, that the words loved and hated in verse 13 are not so much words of emotion as they are words of extreme comparison. Think about that. Not so much emotion as comparison. In fact, we find the very same thing said about us. Did you know that? See if you remember this verse, Luke 14, 26. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not what? Hate his father. It's on the screen in front of you. His mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes. And his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. Let me just ask you something, beloved. Is God saying there in order to follow Jesus, you must hate and mistreat and despise and, and mistreat your family? No. It's comparison. He's saying, if you're going to be my disciple, your love for me, your devotion for me is so great that when compared toward your father and mother, wife, children, brothers, it looks like hate. In other words, you're totally sold out to me. It's extreme comparison, not emotion. Secondly, can I say to you where it says that Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. It's not talking about salvation. And it's not talking about eternal destiny. What he's saying there deals with the nations, those who had come from Jacob and Esau, the Israelites and the Edomites. Listen to what William MacDonald said. This passage refers to earthly blessings, not eternal life. God's hatred of Edom doesn't mean that individual Edomites can't be saved any more than his love of Israel means that individual Jews don't need to be saved. It's dealing more with God's blessing upon those who came from their lives. And of course, Esau did receive some earthly blessings. He talks about that himself in Genesis 33. But it deals with these two nations, the Israelites and the Edomites. God chose to bless Jacob, I have loved. God chose to bless the Israelites above the Edomites. And all of this was done at his sovereign choice. In fact... It was not even based upon Jacob and Esau. Look at that verse again, verse 11. This is Romans 9, 11. For the children not yet being born. So this is, they haven't even been born yet. Nor having done any good or evil. They've done nothing. I mean, all they've done, they've smashed one another in the womb. That's all they've done, right? 
not having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said there, the older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. This story, beloved, between Jacob and Esau and God's working is a story about God's sovereign grace. God had a plan for their life. They were not just two little boys that were born and just happened to be there. God had a plan for their life. And beloved, God has a plan for your life, too. God has a plan for your life, too. There's a man I read this past week. I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly, but you probably don't either. So uh, Donald Sunuk Jian. See if I know him. Good, because I'm off the hook then. We'll call him that. Donald Sunuk Jian. Here's what he wrote. God has a reason for your existence. He brought you into this world to bless you and use you. I love this next sentence. He said, you were a planned pregnancy. You say, well, that's not what mama said or my dad or whoever. I I don't care, really. In God's eyes, you were a planned pregnancy. God intended your birth. And he also has a plan for your life. Now, the question is, how do you fulfill it? What response will enable you to enjoy God's blessing and fulfill his purpose? And here's what he said. The answer to our passage, Jacob's life, I could even say, is this. Don't grab for it. Don't do anything to force it. Don't scheme or plot or maneuver to make it happen. Don't say, well, God has planned this for me, so I'm going to force it to happen. Don't grab. Jacob's going to fight this tendency all of his life. His tendency to grab and to force and to maneuver and to manipulate and to make things the way he wants them. We're going to see that as we study. But you know what? We have the same tendency, don't we? We maybe wouldn't verbalize it, but here's how we live. So I need to help God out. I know God wants this, so I need to help God out. Can I just tell you something, beloved? God doesn't need our help. That'd be a good place to say amen right there. God doesn't need our help. He got along with us, without us for a long time. And guess what? When we're gone, he'll be just fine. God doesn't need our help. But thanks be to God, he has a plan for our life. And he chooses in his grace and mercy to include us in his plans. And that plan begins at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You must go to the cross where we find our Savior suspended between heaven and earth. Dying the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, shedding his precious blood, taking upon himself the sin of the whole world. My sin, your sin, dying in our place, buried and then resurrected. The Bible says if you'll repent of your sin, turn from your sin, and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. You say, well, preacher, what is God's plan for my life? Well, the very first part of the plan is this. Go to the cross. Go to the cross, and there you'll find forgiveness, and you'll find um, eternal life. But you know, salvation's just the beginning for us. After we're saved, He goes to work. He goes to work on us to make us like Jesus. And that's true of every single person here. All of us have our struggles. All of us have our hang-ups. All of us have our issues. As Bobby said, this testimony, for some it's meth. Maybe for others it's alcohol. It's food. It's whatever that we struggle with. But God is working on us. And He's working to make us like Jesus. And so I think if that's true, and I know it is, there are some practical things we can do to help one another. And I want to give them to you real quickly. 
Three things. You want to write something down? Write these down. How can we help one another? God is not done with us. Aren't you glad about that? Look around you today. No matter how good the folks around you look, God's not done with them. Go home, look in the mirror. God's not done with you. God's not done with me. God is still working on us, as we talked about earlier. And so since that's true, there's three things we can do to bless one another. Number one, we need to pray for one another. How awesome would it be in the lives of believers if instead of talking about one another and degrading one another and finding fault for one another, we prayed for one another and we took those things to the Lord. Lord, I pray for my brother, I pray for my sister. And if you're going to do that, the first thing you want to do is make sure you get the log out of your eye before you take your brother. It's amazing. If you'll pray for one another, God will work in your life. You say, Lord, first of all, my life, I want to make things sure things are right in my life. Then I want to help my brother and my sister. Secondly, and all this is important, be patient with one another. Why? Because God's not done with us. He's not done with us. So we've got to be patient with one another. You say, well, preacher, that's good preaching, hard living. Yeah. But with God's help, we can be patient one with another. And then here's another important one. Thirdly, we need to encourage one another. Encourage one another. When you see God's work in someone's life and you see that God is making progress and making someone like Jesus, just a kind word goes a long way. I think I've told you about the wish of uh, Ruth Bell Graham, Billy Graham's wife. But it bears repeating. Years ago, she saw a sign along the side of the road that simply said, end of construction. Thank you for your patience. End of construction. Thank you for your patience. Smiling as they were going along, she mentioned that she would like to have that on her gravestone. And today, if you go to the Billy Graham Library, where her grave is, you'll find written on her tombstone those words, end of construction, thank you for your patience. And I got to thinking about that this past week. And I thought, well, maybe we as believers, we need to get us a button or attach a sign to us or get T-shirts made up that simply says something along these lines to remind each other, caution, life under construction. Now imagine that you see your brother or sister coming and you're wearing a shirt that says caution, life under construction. And guess what? You're wearing the same shirt and they see you caution, life under construction. And so, dear brother, dear sister, because that's true, would you pray for me? Would you be patient with me? Would you encourage me? And can I do the same for you? Can I pray for you? Can I encourage you? Can I be patient with you? Why? Because he's still working on me. To make me what I ought to be. Think about it. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient God must be. Because he's still working on me. Father, we are amazed by your grace today. We sang about it. We've seen it displayed in the life of Jacob and Esau and Isaac and Rebekah. And Lord, you have a plan for our life. And that's true for every single person listening 
to the sound of my voice. I pray if anyone here has never received the Lord Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior, they would come today, leaving their sin and clinging to the Lord Jesus as their Savior. And then, Father, I pray for those who know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Perhaps you've spoken to their heart this morning. I pray that you would help them to be submissive and obedient to the leading of your Holy Spirit. And whatever it is you put your finger on, Lord, they'd come and get that settled here at this altar. And Lord, help us to remember these lessons that we've learned just to these opening verses of Jacob's life. Lord, to put into practice these things, realizing that we're all a work in progress. Lord, that we truly would pray one for another. We'd be patient with one another. And we'd encourage one another in the things of God in this process of sanctification. Lord, I thank you that when you paint the pictures of men like Jacob, you paint their portrait here in your word, warts and all. You want us to see them as they really are so we can learn and grow and be challenged and encouraged in our own lives. Lord, I thank you that the hero of this story is not Jacob and it's not Esau and it's not Isaac, it's not Rebecca or Abraham. The hero of this story is you. You're always the hero. And so, Father, I pray that you'll help us to learn these lessons, apply them to our lives, and live them out this week. In Jesus' name, amen. The invitation, I trust, is very simple today. If you need to be saved, we'd love to help you in that. Come, we'll take a Bible and lead you to the cross. You're a child of God and God's put his finger on something. There's an altar here. We'd invite you to come as we sing and do business with God. If we can pray with you, let us know that. We're going to close this morning of 185. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. And as we stand and sing, the altar's open. You come. 185, let's stand and sing.